Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss, Kevin, and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. That's another great episode we're bringing people. This is episode 106. We're brewing oh, this it. Smells delicious. We're brewing it in our big witchy cauldron. He was ein Berliner. He had bad back problems. <laughs> and he and his CIA might have killed Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> John F. Kennedy <laughs> would have there been. There he is. John Kennedy. Ich ein Berliner. I think of, did anybody watch Clone High in the early 2000s on MTV? Big Library loved. Big I Library adored loved. Clone High. And there was a moment it. in it, there was, it's, it's uh, clones of, of notables in yes. high school. Like and one Gandhi, of them is oh, right, Gandhi, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, and JFK. And Interesting. There's, there's some kind of like drag race situation or some situation where JFK, the clone, has to drive very fast. And as he's driving very fast and careening towards a thing that he's about to crash into, he just goes, nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. And then crashes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just always think about nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. I love it. And speaking of car crashes and Kennedys, I'm definitely going to talk about Chappaquiddick at some point in our Oh, podcast. my God. We simply oh, must. Absolutely. We, we must talk about Chappaquiddick. Teddy got away with it. Teddy yes, he did. Got and number, And also, importantly, it's very fun to say. Chappaquiddick. Yes. Chappaquiddick. And it's a, fun, it's a fun exercise in, did you kill somebody or did you simply let them die? And is there a difference? Oh. Ooh. Uh, also, 106, he was one of my grandfather's favorite singers and one of America's greatest stage alcoholics, Dean Martin, would have been oh. 106. America's and greatest. Ella Fitzgerald. One oh. of the greatest singers of her or greatest. any generation what would have of? been 106. These are icons. I want Dean Martin's dark shaded glasses. That I would love to be wearing around. Yeah. Well, that's he, how you yeah. become often, America's best stage alcoholic. No, you've no, got to no, have no. those like gradient glasses that uh-huh. aren't quite sunglasses. Every Italian man of that generation and a <laughs> couple generation. My grandfather had them all. His brothers had them. Every uncle I ever went to <laughs> the Jersey Shore with had them. So you don't have the sun glaring in your eyes so you can spot your enemy coming. That's right. You got to sit with your back to the wall, back Back in the corner at any restaurant so you can just keep your eyes on a swivel. And you've got to have those glasses with ideally a couple of gold chains and a a velour uh, tracksuit. Ideally. You would just look silly without the rest. It would look, (laughs) frankly, it would look stupid without the rest of it. Can I say, in a restaurant, I don't feel comfortable if my back's not to the wall. I don't like having Ditto. unknown situations behind me. It makes me I need very to know. uncomfortable. I need, I need to, to know, know what's happening. Yes. <laughs> Tell me, baby girl, because I need to know. Oh, yes. Mark Antony. Love yes. it. Yes. Okay. All right. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> this is a great episode so far. I'm loving it. <laughs> new year, new us. Yeah. New year, same us. How about that? New, new year, year, same, same us. us. Same us. Yeah. Yeah, time is just an illusion. What have you been up to? I have been up to not a whole lot. This week was fairly under the radar, which I liked. I started a new painting. I'm now working on Dorothy's Bornack. I'm going to be in my Golden Girls era. Oh, yes, yes. So I'm looking forward to that. It's coming along nicely. We get a hint. 
Can I give you a hint? I mean, she's just wearing one of what I think is one of her more iconic outfits is from the okay. earlier seasons. And it's a mint green velour uh-huh. shoulder padded with Has the mint green bow tie. Yes, I think oh, I know Oh, yes, I is. do know that outfit. Yes. And it's not Dorothy yes. if it's not padded to the gods. Oh, padded yes. to the gods, wearing flats and, and shoulders. Yes. Uh, God. Fuck yeah. So icon. I'm working on that and it's coming along great. And uh, Drag Race started this week, season 16. Lovely. Get into it. You know, so more into seasons it. seasons of Drag Race. It's so many. I know. And this season, they split up the premiere. So half of the queens started this week. Half will start next week. Nobody goes home this week. They did that before, didn't they? They did. It was like season six. And they may have done it also other times. Uh, but the celebrity guest judge for the first episode, Charlize uh-huh. Theron, motherfuckers. Oh. Amazing. Love her. Oscar winning Charlie Theron. That's the a big get. Holy get. shit. Amazing. The second episode, some pop singer named Becky G. I would be so pissed if I were one of those Ooh, episode two queens. I would be furious. Ooh, hold on. I don't know they got to meet Charlize Theron. Becky. Girl. And then we got Becky G. Becky I mean, with she's the good cute. hair. I'm just saying she's very, very she's cute. cute, but is she, is she a big deal? Is she Furiosa? No. She is not Furiosa. She did not is drive on Fury Road. They're on like, no. Level? You know what? If I was on Drag Race, I'd absolutely be in the Becky G group. Like that's how I, that's how my life is. <laughs> yeah. So that's been my week. Uh, Miss, you sound different than last week. How has that been for you? Oh, no, it's good. My two-month cold is finally draining out of my head, so I'm starting to get my regular voice back. Well, so that's huzzah. Lovely. Yeah, like my whole ear and face, so She has gross. an ear and a face, people. She's an she ear and a face. Em. And I got them. They're leaking, and it's a good She's thing. in her leaking era. <laughs> it's a great thing. I'm in my drainage era. I'm having a wonderful time. I had a cough the other day, and I, I dislocated a rib. And I thought I was going to die. That's my girl. It was a lower rib. That's That one's never happened before. And I'm not going to die. New I'm year, not gonna lie to new you. Week. New year, same me. New rib. Spare ribs, please. <laughs> it was horrible. But she's on the up and up. She's almost home. I can move from side to side. Wonderful. I can even do a little <clears throat> without wanting to completely die. But I started a new crochet project, and I can say it on here because the sister it's for does not listen to the show. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> but I'm making a new blanket, and I sent y'all a picture of it. I found the softest, non-plushy yarn I could at Joann's. Beautiful. It is actually working out. I tried it a f- to start it a few times yesterday after work, but... I messed up a few times, but I learned something. You know what? I've never, when I was young, the idea that practice makes perfect was just such bullshit. If I wasn't good at something immediately, then it was stupid and I was stupid. Yeah, and it wasn't worth my time, but I actually wasn't good at it right away. My tension was all off. Also, listener, if you're a crocheter and you have any ideas on how to like even out tension, I'm getting better at it, but I would love some tips. Creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. I'm working on it and it's actually looking pretty cute. So I'm proud of myself. It does look extremely cute. Edie, what about you? My week has been Okay. Um, full disclosure okay. to the listeners. Um, I have not mentioned Mr. Fake Name in a while. Mr. Fake Name and I have uh, amicably parted ways mm-hmm. after a very long time together. It is the position of the pod that we wish Mr. Fake Name nothing but the absolute best. Absolutely. Yes. But Indeed. this week is the first week that, you know, after a few months of kind of transition i've been living on my own for the for the first time ever and it oh, has been ever, a lot ever ever, ever. um That's it has been true. a lot yeah I've wow never so what does it feel it feels like a lot sometimes i'm like it's a party time. I can risky business through every hallway and nobody <laughs> will care. But then also it's like nobody's holding me accountable for like isolating and being 
you know, oh yeah, like emotionally unhealthy. So like, what's that about? Oh, I have to mm. regulate myself. Mm. It's it's a challenge as someone who's lived alone for a long time. You have to, you really do have to regulate yourself, and sometimes you you don't, and yeah. then you have to got to work on it. Oh yeah, but you taking can do it, it. That's the thing. You can yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm taking it a moment You're, at a time. The other absolutely. day. Kevin in Big Library came over and helped me put together a futon in what is now a spare room. We had pizza. It was really, really great. I was so stressed about this heavy-ass futon. Now I've got most of the big stuff making the house have enough in it for me to survive comfortably. Mm -hmm. It's done. I've got like a little bit more cosmetic stuff. Should I buy a bunch of like goth art? You bet Hell your yeah. ass I did. You sure Hell did. Hell yeah. bet your ass I did. And it looks awesome. It looks pretty cool. I got so many Nick Cave-related art prints as well. Yes. So many. So many. I think I've got like three or four Nick Cave-related pieces, and I would have it no other way. But it's it's a, it's a new year, same me, new circumstance, and it is going just fine. So any Wonderful. listeners who are going through you know, major life changes or life shifts, please know that my spirit is with you. Any, any rituals I do, I will be thinking of you as well. When I <laughs> uh, burn candles, setting my intention, my little sister got into doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. She wrote down all of the things she wants to let go of. And then she cut the things into strips and set the little strips on fire in her yard. I love and I was it. Like, oh, that's so, so witchy. I love it. It's yes, so dramatic. I love it. Do it. She's been very into manifesting and I love that for her. Good for her. Yeah. Sorry, I love Stella's that for her. eating a toy right behind me and she doesn't <laughs> care how much it crinkles, but that's how I'm doing. Oh, Good. I love that. Good. Living alone has so many perks and, and I will say it has more perks than downfalls. There are downfalls and they can be hard, but you are a strong, independent lady. You're a Them. smart, strong, Don't, sensual woman. Well, that's right. And I'm you good can enough. Do it. I'm smart enough. Mm-hmm. And gosh darn it. People, people like, like, like you. me. Yes. Now, Kev, you sent us an emoji hint for your true crime story. I did. Do you want to tell the peeps? It is a queen with a crown and then a coffin. And then a coffin. And then a coffin. Hmm. So Hmm. that that was that. And and, and, in terms of mood, I think we're squarely in... We're going from Middletown to Fun Zone, but we're mostly close. We're we're in Middletown. We're in the outskirts of Middletown. Okay, Middletown, you know Middletown. what? That's a fit. All right. Frankly, most of us most days live in Middletown. We're, we're uh-huh. in Middletown. That's true. Yes, indeed. And last time that I saw Edie, when we uh, Big Library and I went over to help set up a futon, you gave me your clue for this week's spoop. Yes, old and gross. Old and gross. Oh, yeah. And I thought about that. And honestly, you couldn't not say that about mine, too. So we're going to see if that if the, if we have any TTT going on this episode. I'm not sure. TTT. Telepathic <laughs> triangle of trust. I'm going to tell you the story as it unfolds because I think it makes for a better experience. We're going to be fully international today. International. Oh, yeah. We're going to be heading to the Middle East. And our story begins in Pakistan, November, the year 2000. In the year 2000. Oh, my God, miss. (laughs) Listen, obligatory. (laughs) The ancient Conan O'Brien bit in the year 2000. (laughs) We are old. It is obligatory. (laughs) With organized crime in the shape of, like, thefts from museums, illicit excavations, stealing of cultural artifacts during wars. You know, the illicit trade of antiquities is upwards of a $6 billion industry, probably more, who knows. And it thrives despite many countries' policies uh, with interventions because there are just really no big punishments for it. That makes sense. And quote, 
That's why efforts to contain such trade all over the world have not been successful, says archaeologist Dr. Asma Ibrahim from Aga Khan University in Karachi. You know, my attempts to contain trade also don't really go so well. They always get away. (laughs) Get Get him, Jade. So Dr. Ibrahim, she's obviously not wrong. Netflix and other streamers, they're littered with true crime docs about this very subject. There's so many stories that we could do on the pod about the illicit art world, like the Gardner Museum heist in Boston. There's a story that I read in the New York Times. Oh, my God. It's like a rich person saga, so it's like really fun. And it's about a corrupt (laughs) Wilderstein family, which is this French aristotic family that has like amassed millions, if not hundreds of millions of art from all over the world. It has been locked away in these uh, vaults. And the whole thing is wild because the widow, her uh, son signed, like, like conned her in the way of like signing over the entire state to the sons. And so she's like now suing them in court. Uh, It's so I think I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many stories like that that we can go over. Anything and everything from antiquity is fair game in the legal art trade. And in November of 2000, the international press reported an astonishing find. They found a mummy that was 2,600 years old, and she was a Persian princess. We've got ourselves some TTT, baby. Oh, do we? We have TTT? Oh, yeah. We've got a theme. We've got a category. Oh, my God. I'm living. Good. God, I love us. We're so great. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, they found that Persian princess. She is mummified. She was encased in a carved stone coffin, and inside of that was a wooden sarcophagus. And the sarcophagus, it was wearing an exquisite gold crown, and it had a mask on her cloth-bound body was dressed with golden artifacts as well. And there was an an inscription on her breastplate that read, I am the daughter of the great King Xerxes. I am Rodogun. I I think I know this this story. You think you might? I think I might. Okay. Okay. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. Okay. Yeah, the breastplate says that she is the daughter of King Xerxes, Xerxes. and that is the same Xerxes from the movie 300, of yes. course. Yes, yes. Yassified oh, Xerxes. Looks- Absolutely yassified. Yes, that movie was so beautiful. Xerxes, I love gold. It was giving very Goldfinger. Oh my god, I love that. He was gorgeous. It was very like. Yeah, the Spartans were all fucking each other, but we're also like doing a toxic masculinity movie, so it's Xerxes who's going to be serving cunt. Cunt. Just couldn't get over it. At the time, I was so confused. I was like, he's so so pretty, but like a man? I didn't understand. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was. It was a lot for all of us. (laughs) Princess Rodegun's internal organs, they had all been taken out of her body, as was custom. It was the find of a lifetime and one of the most magnificent ancient treasures ever to be unearthed in that area. The mummy was found by authorities a few weeks prior in October of 2000 in Pakistan in the province of Balochistan, which is like a desert region of the country near the border of Afghanistan to the north and Iran to the west. Got it. Pakistani authorities were alerted to a videotaped recording of a dude. His name was Ali Akbar. He was trying to unload a mummy for sale on the black market. And in the video, he claimed he had a mummy and the asking price of 600 million rupees, around 11 million U.S. dollars. Oh, hello. Big money. I love the like dating video, like the 80s dating video aspect of the dark web mummy selling like, (laughs) hey, I've got this mummy. She's legit. (laughs) She's hot. She is worth 600 million rupees. (laughs) So cops got a hold of Mr. Akbar from that videotape and he immediately came. He he tells them exactly where the mummy itself was located. He did not have it. He said it was being held at the house of the tribal leader and a local camel breeder named Wali Muhammad Riki. 
the authorities then went to Mr. Riki's house, he claimed that he had received the mummy from an Iranian man named Sharif Shah Baki. He said that he had found it after an earthquake in Pakistan. This is, I a mean, real this is a lot of, of like a friend of a friend of a friend's <laughs> a friend cousin knows how to get coke for the party. Friend of a friend. But that's how friend it of works, a friend of I a friend's guess. earthquake who's had it. And it's also like just as if you were looking for a hitman online, you're going to get an FBI agent. If you're yes. trying oh, yeah. to sell some super expensive rare antiquities, it's yes. going to be like Interpol or some insurance assessor or some shit. Oh yeah, yep. and, but that's the the crux of the um, French aristocratic story that I was telling about earlier. That's the whole crux about it because all of this art they're alleging has been stolen is locked away in these ports uh, where they're uh, international waters, whatever. So that there's no jurisdiction that can retrieve them. So it's this whole thing. So yes, maritime law. So those two <laughs> gentlemen were caught by authorities and they were arrested for violating the country's antiquities act, which was a charge that carried a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. The Persian princess was immediately hailed as a major archeological discovery. In fact, no Persian mummy had ever been found before, let alone a royal one. Hmm. Mummification Ooh. to preserve bodies had always been thought of to be unique to the ancient Egyptians. So she was quite a find and quite a rescue from the black huh. market. I'm In, waving a flag of interesting. a certain color. Yeah. You're <laughs> waving a flag of a certain color, miss. I'm waving a yellow flag right now because I'm not saving, saying it's impossible but a flag mm-hmm. nonetheless, a flag on the play for our straight Seems listeners. Pretty... Oh, it was a sports reference. Oh, you get oh, yeah. yeah. Look at you, Butch. Sporty soccer, or it could be football of either continental variety. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, she was quite a find. Iran and Pakistan started arguing over who would claim ownership of the mummy. Even the Taliban, when they were in power before we took them out and then gave them power. Never heard of them. <laughs> Taliban. They, the money? they announced that they wanted it too. They all were laying claim Daddy for it or... because she was a big get, you know? She was yeah. like a star and everyone was, was obsessed popular. with her. Everyone's but ultimately, sad. it was sent to Pakistan's National Museum to be kept safe and to study. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> well, at least it's still in a museum in the Middle East, we'll say. I mean, I go, I thank Christ. Mm-hmm. Steal stuff from the British Museum, people. Just take it. None of it belongs to them. Doesn't belong don't actually there. take it. Disclaimer. Don't, don't steal anything. It. Don't, don't actually it. take it. But if you take it, don't snitch. In a press <laughs> conference in October of 2000, Pakistani archaeologist Ahmed Hassan Dani of an Islamabad university announced that the mummy seemed to be princess dated circa 600 BC. The mummy was wrapped in ancient Egyptian style and it rested in a gilded wooden coffin with cuneiform carvings inside a stone sarcophagus. The mummy was atop a layer of wax and honey and it was covered by a stone slab and had a golden crown and had a gold mask. The inscription read that she was the daughter of the great King Xerxes. She asked for her God to protect her. I am Rodagoon. I am. I hope that when Lady Gaga does eventually shuffle off her mortal coil, that Mm. she (laughs) is buried with a golden crown, a golden mask, and a plaque on her chest that tells us exactly who the fuck she was. I am... Gaga, or it, it is. I am. I'm Lady Gaga. Which is her current quote. First, is that typical? Is that typical, Miss? I don't know. You're asking so many questions. I'm so sorry. Yeah, is it is it typical to be like, hey, don't worry about it. This is exactly who I am. People who find me. Yeah, here's um my like adhesive name tag at this high school reunion. Here's my ye <laughs> old social security number. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about checking it. Don't worry about it because it's oh, real gosh. and don't be rude. Well, I mean, she really could have been because Mr. Hassan Dani, he speculated that she might have been an Egyptian princess that was married off to a Persian prince, hence the Egyptian style mummification process. So, Miss Thing, she was quite a find. The cuneiform text on the breastplate 
contained a passage from a Behestun inscription in western Iran. The Behestun inscription was carved during the reign of Darius, who was the father of Xerxes, who would have been the grandfather of Rodogun. So those pesky questions you were starting to ask earlier, miss, like how'd she get to Pakistan, those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, first things first, it was Dr. Asma Ibrahim from Pakistan's National Museum who started her analysis, and she ended up making some startling conclusions. Startling. What's that? Okay. What's that? Turns out, Dr. Ibrahim realized soon after she began that the corpse was not as old as the coffin. Oh, changing my flag. I'm changing my flag from a yellow to a red. Oh, we see a red on the field. Red on There's the field. Red on the field. Red on the field. We know what that means. There's red on the field and we and we know what we know how we know it works. what it means. Yes. Offsides. So Dr. Ibrahim also started to observe the body itself. On its face, she observed signs of decomposition fungus, which is a sign of a much more recently deceased body than someone that died 2,600 years ago. She's young and and hot, so she's got that fungus. I know. She don't never die. She got the face fungus. Hello. That's what they use for eyeshadow. Hello. So fungus means it's too not it's it's too recent. Too recent. Yeah, because there's still more organic matter in the body for a oh, fungus. Oh, right. To okay. So there's eat. moisture enough. There's moisture enough for the fungus to grow. That's my oh, guess. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, I was okay. Mm-hmm. In an article, she said, quote, I taught myself the cuneiform language from a grammar book so I could be able to read the message on the mummy. There were serious problems with the way that the message was written. They wanted to make it look like ancient text, she said, but they had used a more recent Persian language. Oh. They also spelled Rodogun's name in a Persian way instead of the uh, the Greek way that it was expected to have been or something like that. Dummies. You fucked it up. So turns out this mummy is a forgery. And it doesn't. Okay, Miss so this thing. is the story I thought it was. Um, oh. What? Yeah. What boldness. What this is, absolute this is, boldness this is to try and pass off in the year 2000. In the year yeah. 2000 yeah. to pass off a fake mummy. I live. I laugh. I love. I, exactly. <laughs> but how do we really know how old this lady was? Because as a lady never reveals her true age, never. Uh, we always have to carbon date to know for sure. Yeah. Ladies, if you don't want to tell us your age, we're just going to carbon date you. Okay? We're going to get in those bones. We're going to get, gonna in, get those up bones. in the bones. So after two CAT scans and x-rays, it was indicated that the mummification had not been made fully following ancient Egyptian customs. For example, in addition to all of the internal organs that had been removed, the heart was also removed along with the rest of the organs, whereas in a genuine Egyptian mummy, I believe normally the heart would have been left inside the body. And furthermore, they did conclude that the body had tendons that should have decayed over the centuries that were still intact. This makes me think immediately about the story that I had talked about earlier about Colonel Shy's body in the lead coffin. Yes. Paging Dr. Bass. Where are you? You're needed in Pakistan. <laughs> Dr. Ibrahim published her report of her autopsy and examination in April 2001. In it, she stated that the Persian princess, quote unquote, was not in fact a woman between 21 and 25 years of age. And she did not die 2,600 years prior. They performed an accelerator mass spectrometry, and they confirmed that Miss Thing died around 1996, actually only five (laughs) years prior. I'm embarrassed for them. I'm embarrassed for them. Like a vaguely old body. Like you couldn't go to the cemetery and get like an 1850s body or something. I know. You... Is this like well, I guess you can't relative? mummify an old body like That's that, maybe? True. I guess. Yeah, but I'm embarrassed maybe. for them. 
I'm embarrassed for them. I'm especially embarrassed for the the one dude. As soon as they found out about it, he did that press conference. It was like, oh yeah, she's definitely this old princess, and and she's amazing, and blah blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, I feel sorry mostly excited. for that. Dude. They got too stoked. They were like, it's too. It's. It's we see this good. happen with cons over and over and over again. When oh, yeah. something is too good to be true, so, so often Double people down. just like are like, yeah, that means it's really, really good. That means I'm it's the really, luckiest really motherfucker true. in the world. Right? I couldn't be getting cons. This is just people, like if it is too good to be true, it is. No, if it's too good to be true, then it's true. Duh. No. <laughs> Just and kidding. Further... I have the worst luck in the world. I know it's not true. <laughs> Even if it's just okay, I know it's not true. <laughs> and so here we are in this predicament where they first think that they found a find of a century or of a millennia, really. And turns out that that is very much not the case. But here's where the story gets as dark as it goes. Because if that's not her, then who the fuck is it? Yeah. There was a woman that died in 1996. Her bone structure, they determined that she was around the age of 16. Oh, no. Oh. A younger person. That's Further investigation hard. showed physical injuries with her spinal column, that it had been broken in two. Oh, so she had shit. not died a natural death. Oh, shit. Her spine? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh. Removing her casing, they had found some uh, what they determined to be blonde hairs, which had turned golden or gray because of the aging chemicals that was being used in the mummification. So she was not ancient at all. So who is she? So this was very much a case of someone or some people having a dead body that they either killed themselves or found very soon because in a BBC documentary in 2001, it was determined that this person had to have been mummified within 24 hours of their death. This was planned. Yeah, you got to get to them quick. So they yeah. had a whole plan. The there was plan a whole was plan. Her. And the entire forgery was incredibly skilled. They said they had to have had some kind of team that was skilled in the goldsmithing, in the cabinet making, in the stone masonry, in the cuneiform yeah. text, all yeah. of these, in the mummification yeah. process. So I don't think so, it was a one-person job either. Oh, no. They yeah. had like an Ocean's Eleven team of like expert forgers. Yes. Yes. Because like the, the fuck-ups that they made seem like, you know, things that you would have to be a like super mega expert to notice. Yeah. Exactly. And Dr. Ibrahim, she is a, a super expert and she was able to start to understand that, no, this is not actual mummy. Well, it was a mummy, just not from 2,600 years ago. And so news of this newly debunked Persian princess that caught international headlines, it prompted an American archaeologist named Oscar White Muscarella to describe an incident that he had experienced that previous March, March 2000, when he was shown photographs of a similar mummy. Hmm. There was a man named Amanola Riga who was a middleman working on behalf of an unidentified antiquities dealer in Pakistan. He had approached Mr. Muscarella and gave him all the information. And they were about to make the exchange. But that's when the dealer's representative sent a piece of the coffin to be carbon dated. That's when the American archaeologists realized that the coffin was like no more than 250 years old. So he smelled a stunt and he severed contact. He oh. informed Interpol through the FBI. But that was it. I don't know uh, if his information from March ever made it over to Pakistan or, or wherever they were. But, uh, Interpol sleeping on the job. Mm-hmm. But then also I read two, two more such mummies also turned up in the same region of Pakistan. And oh it was around God. this time that they were also being hawked for sale. Oh How God. many more fake-ass mummies are in some offshore storage facility right, right now or in someone's yeah. fucking bunker basement waiting to be sold for... $20 million. That's incredible that there's potentially just like a, at least a hand, small handful yes. of 
just meticulously crafted false mummies. Very meticulously crafted. And that's why the art world is so nebulous in terms of finances being shuffled around and moved around because forgeries are very easy. And this one was a very high skilled forgery at that. And it almost got people. Yeah. 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 We didn't have the kind of. It wasn't for the experts. If it wasn't for those. And the technology that we had available at the 21st century technology that's available to carbon date and kind of examine these things. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Very well could have gone over and, you know, even just 10, 20 years before. Yep. And the sad part is they may never know who the identity is of that 16-year-old in the coffin. Yeah. It was just a cold case now. They tried to do some investigations, but they made little effort. And so by 2005, Pakistan was announcing that they intended to bury the body with a proper burial rights. They didn't end up getting around to that until the year 2008. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. Don't buy mummies no. off of the black market, people. Get your mummies no. the legit way Don't by stealing the them. Can't take them. Don't buy it. You do what the Brits do. It's just something inherently wrong about owning and procuring deeply cultural elements of... From other places. Yeah, tell that to the fucking British. Yeah. There's a really great bit by one of my fave comedians, James Acaster, um, and he's a British comedian. And he talks about the British Museum and he's talking about how Britain's basically just like, well, we've got your stuff. We're, we've put it in a building so that we can just look at it. And if you want to come and look at your yeah. stuff, like you can you come and come. look at your stuff. Yeah. Oh, you want it back? No, you can't have it back. We're still looking at it. We're we're still looking yeah. at your stuff. And but we also don't trust you to have it because you could break it. Because you could break it, and yeah, we've got this big fancy museum, and we have white gloves that we can put on. We have the white gloves. Oh, I know the the British ruin everything they touch. Seriously, <laughs> the British government ruins everything that it touches, um, yes. but also the East India Company. So rich, powerful Britons ruin everything they touch. Yeah, it's the a British long em- How about the empire? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the empire. But yes, that is my true crime story. I hope you all enjoyed it. It's very I'm- interesting. So it was the story that you knew, Miss? Yes, it was, because nice. I have always been fascinated by sort of... Um, mummies and mm-hmm. the process of mummification and that whole after death process, um, mainly the Egyptian process. Cause that's kind of all I knew of growing up, but mm. yeah, ancient Egypt's and ancient cultures um, and ancient civilizations. I was a real weird elementary school kid and I, that's what yeah. I was Her, sort of I obsessed, for it. sort of obsessed with when I was a kid, that and medieval times and cultures i was obsessed with oh sick i was a i was a greek mythology kid oh i loved it loved it not as much i like i liked mythology don't get me wrong and i still do but yeah yeah so i definitely love the story (laughs) i didn't which is great because i love uh forgery stories i love that shit oh yeah me too yeah creativity Man, like people are so truly, <laughs> and think about this too. All of their s- combined skills, what could they have actually gotten done legitimately? If they just didn't murder you know? that girl, I know they could have probably know done did. something. We don't know if they did. We don't know. They were like, "Look, ninety-five percent of this project was amazing and artistic. The five percent, yeah, right? <laughs> really sullied the operation." So great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if they didn't murder her, they somehow acquired her, which is not great either. And, and awesome. allegedly within 24 hours. It's not, yeah, not awesome. All right. Well, apparently we have a segue that goes right on in here with the TTT. Oh, my God. Yes. Does it? We sure fucking do. Oh, my God. I've been waiting. Listener, the wellness industry sucks. Oh, God. Oh, God. From hydroxychloroquine as a cure for covid to your own urine as a cure for everything, to the purported health benefits of semen retention, future subjects of the pod. 
Is that also with the red lights? It, or not. Oh, like where no, they shine oh, a red no, light at from, your, from, at your skull, like uh, Brian or Johnson. Or your crotch, too. Oh, or your crotch. Yeah, there's guys a are now shooting red lights at their penis. Fabulous. Great. Yeah, for there's what? a whole, there's a whole thing of manliness. like, just don't come. For manliness. Like, or if you, you don't sun come. Your, um, yeah. Yeah, sun, you tan your butthole. Yes. That I've also heard. For what? Power. It's virility. Power. Can I sun my gooch? You're like supercharge super your gooch with the yes. power of the sun. Gone right. are the I days don't... of the jewels up your peach. Now just tits to the wind and peach to the sun. The wellness oh, industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like And these wellness grifts of today seem like they're as bizarre as they ever could have been. They are. But as usual, all we need to do is look to the past. To find that we've always been this way. Yeah. And worse. Yeah, Same as it ever was. I am clenching Same so as hard. It ever was. You are, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like terribly. Okay, go. Today, we're talking about corpse medicine. Ugh, corpse medicine? It. Okay, those two things. That sounds like an oxymoron. Yeah, I got questions. Well, I've got answers. I don't know if I want answers. Ingesting Ugh. human remains or byproducts Ugh. from okay. them as medicine <laughs> has been a thing for nearly 2,000 years. That was involuntary. I'm sorry. You had to. You had to. All right. According to Australian author Louise Noble... Galen, a Roman doctor and philosopher from the second century, believed that an elixir. Okay. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Got him. Absolute slam. <laughs> Galen believed that an elixir made from burned human bones could help epilepsy and arthritis. Noble also wrote that. Paracelsus, a Swiss doctor and alchemist from the 1500s, argued that the best medicine for humans comes from humans themselves. He believed that human blood, fat, marrow, brains, and poops could treat all kinds of stuff. Uh, I still got okay, questions. Well, sometimes, I mean, I guess... There is such a thing as like a real thing called, called a fecal transplant. Yeah. That is true. Poop no, transplants are real and, and that works. And, and it's, That's it, real. it works but and it not... helps. And you can do bone marrow transplants. But yep, would we call true. that medicine? Yeah. This is par- Paracelsus is talking about it's medicine. Like grinding Not it from up like and, dead- and munching on it. We're talking about dead people because well, de- well strongest- and then in the eighteen, then then there was corpse. I'm remembering corpse powder. Yeah. That's yeah. supposed the to make your strongest dick hard. ingredients were said to come from bodies that died suddenly, preferably violently. Not According this to Latham's shit. Quarterly, Paracelsus oh and his God. contemporaries believed that a sudden death can trap a person's spirit in their body for long enough to make extra powerful medicine out of the ingredients. This just sounds like adrenochrome shit. It's exactly the fucking same. It's the same. It's the same shit. <laughs> so it's like, the same. same as it ever was. Playing- like, so you die, like, from, like, an arrow you, and you've got, like, adrenaline in you. You get, like, extra adrenaline. It's the – well, because at, at the time, um, the spirit was considered to be kind of, like, a a part of the body. So, okay. like, you had – because this like was the time at which – of, like, of humors, for example. Of, like, sure. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the – your your emotional state affecting – um, tangibly affecting your physical state in a way sure. far beyond what we think of now as, sure. I mean, yeah, emotional states can have a tangible effect on the physical state, but not in the way that no, they thought of it. No, but in a different then. way. Okay. Okay. They, they were thinking of the spirit as almost another organ. Part of the body. Got it. Among the most okay. favored of human ingredients. Mm. Blood. Blood. In the 15th and 16th centuries, blood was used as a medicinal tonic, usually taken from newly dead bodies, but sometimes taken from the living. 
One well-known Italian priest and thinker had an argument that might seem familiar if you recall our episode on capitalist vampires. According to Lapham's Quarterly, this guy Mm -hmm. Marsilio Ficino said that elderly folks who want some rejuvenation should suck the blood of an adolescent who was clean, happy, temperate, and whose blood is excellent, but perhaps a little excessive. You just sound like Nadja. Yeah, you do. Oh Especially talking about blood. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> I to go for Italian, but I went for I went for an anti-Paxos accent. <laughs> Anti-Paxos vampire. That's exactly what happened. Anti-Paxonian? Yeah. <laughs> In the 17th century, people started to believe that guzzling fle- fresh blood from the newly dead, piping hot, of course, of could course. help with epilepsy or consumption. Or you could dry and powder some blood and just like salt bay it onto your yeah, yeah, wounds yeah. to stop bleeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's blood, and so it's going to help you with blood. blood stuff. Richard Sugg, who's and people a, get uh, mad at us for uh, not or these days for. Never mind. It's <laughs> just going to make some like, kind of stupid gay t- like, sex one- joke. <laughs> but we got people like exchanging blood mid wounds for power like years ago. We're just having and a good time. And they're mad at us days. for eating I ass. Like- yeah. The nerve. Okay. No, ass and eat, <laughs> eat all done. your ass. That's fine. Done. I have oh. no problem. I'm just saying, like, if anything, like, if you're bleeding, I would be like, put some flour on it to absorb it. Not like put so is powdered blood. Yeah, Uh, Richard (laughs) Sugg is a uh, lecturer in England, I believe, and he wrote about a 1679 recipe for blood jam in a 2011 book. The steps are: first, take blood from persons of a warm, moist temperament, such as those of a blotchy red complexion and rather plump of build. Get away from me. Not only am I plump of juicy build, but I'm pink. also got pink skin. If you're Get juicy and pink, me. this is the blood that you want. Get away from Next, me. Next, let it dry into a sticky mass. Blech. Then, Sug wrote, place it upon a flat, smooth table of soft wood and cut it into thin little slices, allowing its watery part to drip away. When it is no longer dripping, place it on a stove on the same table and stir it to a batter with a knife. When it is absolutely dry, place it immediately in a very warm bronze mortar and pound it, forcing it through a sieve of finest silk. When it has all been sieved, seal it in a glass jar. Renew it in the spring of every year. Ooh, fresh kill. So that's if you do that, you're going to get a Paul Hollywood rich. handshake because you will have made blood jam. You made the best blood, blood jam he's ever had. Blood, blood, blood I jam. I enjoy your blood. Blood jam. I feel like we're the sausage, the blood sausage roll you made with this jam is a bit underbaked. Underbaked. Under, under. But it ain't just blood we're working with here. Say you're after something a little more substantial. Well, can I interest you in human fat? No. Yes. I guess we have no choice. People would rub it on their skin to help pain associated with gout. And they also powdered it and ate it to stop bleeding or put it on wounds to speed up the healing of bruises. And in the late 1600s in Paris, you could buy human fat at the druggist. And (laughs) Richard Sugg found that in Munich, Germany, executioners would deliver fat wholesale by the pound right to apothecaries throughout the city until at least the 1750s. Gross. Were people eat? eating it like they would normal fat or like no, no it's, they're not it's, going to like a butcher's they're going no to like, it's not like they're you're not like, like a, making like the drugstore no yeah the, you're not making okay. like you're not using it as you would use like Sausage. lard or something okay okay this is medicinal obviously my bad and then there's bones particularly the head bone skulls dips? were in high yeah, demand around the 1600s. 
King Charles II of England, ever heard of him, wasn't just a monarch. He was also an amateur chemist with his own home lab. In the words the of the great man. Mel Brooks, it's good to be the king. Indeed. <laughs> Charles apparently paid £6,000 to a college professor for a recipe for a tincture made from powdered skull. And this medicine was known as the King's Drops because King Chuck was all about them. And because kings are super trendy among the aristocracy, the King's Drops became a popular cure for anything that ailed you. Folks would mix the King's Drops with wine or chocolate to cure whatever. One lady... Anne Dormer wrote a letter to her sister in 1686 about how she used the King's Drops to deal with what seems like crippling depression. Oh, all right. Send me the recipe. (laughs) I apply myself to tend my crazy health and keep up my weak, shattered carcass, broken with restless nights and unquiet days. I take the King's Drops and drink chocolate. And when my soul is sad to death, I run and play with the children. Yeah, girlfriend. Just, oh, I'm she needs so an sad I want to die. Yeah, she needs yeah. ye old Zoloft. She needs ye old, yeah, maybe some vitamin D if you can't get it anything else. I I, and I mean also, from the sun. Like, I mean from the sun. Even not like, get some, not like get some Not dick. she needs to I get mean, fucked. I mean, it <laughs> might not hurt, I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know. I mean, but like medicinal. <laughs> And it ain't just the skull bone itself. Moss that grows on skulls was said to work too. So literally, if you don't have skull at home, the moss that grows on the skull is fine. Um, Okay. People would push that moss up their noses to stop nosebleeds. And into the early 20th century, doctors used human skulls in various ways to treat neurological conditions. What do you mean? What century did you say? 20th. The 19th. The one that I was born in? The one that we were born in. I'm yeah. so upset. Well, the get skulls of whom? Ready. Whose skulls? That's a great question. And we'll, I'm guessing we'll get prisoners. to that Who's sort of at skulls? the end. Guessing. But for now, prisoners. the jewel in the crown of corpse medicine. It's about dicks. Oh, I wish. Oh, damn it. I was pretty sure it was going to be about dicks. For at least 500 years, between the 1100s and the 1700s, people in Europe used what was known as mumia or mummy as a drug. (sighs) Now, this word has undergone a great evolution. The word mumia in Middle Eastern early medical literature, according to a historian named Carl Dannenfeld, referred to a natural mineral pitch that you could find in various Persian mountain regions. And mineral pitch is a dark brown soil-like stuff that comes from high-altitude rocks. Ah. Okay. But by the 11th century in Europe mummy began to mean the pitch-like stuff that was used in Egyptian mummification practices. And then by the 12th century, mummy started to mean more the corpse itself and not even the pitch used during the process of preservation. Hmm. So mummy eventually just meant preserved dead body and not just King Tut and pals either. The Latham's quarterly article Uh, Sorry, the Lapham's Quarterly article suggests that a so-called mummy could mean bodies preserved by sandstorms, like those that are common in North Africa. Or, you know what, let me quote the article. Whole corpses, often of executed felons, preserved in the manner advised by Paracelsus, which involved days of treatment with herbs before hanging the flesh out to dry, with the resulting products looking like cured meat. Oh, yay. Ooh. Delicious. Europeans loved mummy. Starting in the 1400s, European merchants started raiding burial sites in Egypt and bringing back what they found to European apothecaries. By the 1700s, mummy was everywhere. Tinctures made with mummy were meant to stop bleeding. 
Mummy could be used in bandages to fight joint pain or even venomous animal bites. People could not get enough. Mummy was even used as paint. Artists starting in the pre-Raphaelite era used it often in a shade called Mummy Brown. Mum- oh, wait, I did hear the word mummy brown. Yeah. They use that in a- paints. I do remember that. Yes. Yes, they do. The stuff was so popular that kind of like in Kevin's story, wholesalers and retailers sometimes ended up selling imitation mummy. That's right. Fake mummy <laughs> stuff. Capitalism. That's right. <laughs> stuff not from ancient Egyptian corset. Fake mummy stuff, not from ancient Egyptian corpses, but new loser corpses from poor people, executed people, or even animals. Wow. Napoleon Bonaparte, ever heard of him, made an expedition to Egypt in 1798, further stoking the fires of Western mummy excitement. Yeah, so on the trailer, he blew up the Sphinx, all right? <laughs> Something like that. Look, I don't know. That movie seems real weird. Pew, pew. Soon, Europeans who were rich enough could travel to Egypt themselves, buy whole mummies from street markets, and bring them on back. Wow. Around this time in the early 1800s, eating mummies started to go out of style medicine-wise, but that didn't mean that the mummy craze was over. Far mm-hmm. from it. By the Victorian era in the 1800s, rich folks threw private parties dedicated to unwrapping mummies. Like an unwrapping party? What? Yeah. Like an unwrapping They're doing video? like a YouTube unboxing. Unbox- unboxing videos. That's what I meant. <laughs> but for an, an old dead body. Gather around my Be house. Like- I'll make punch. For it's exactly that. Like- I've been dead for a long time. I'm pretty comfy. Why don't we just, why don't we just not? And you guys just have a party. You guys just have a party and I'll stay and I'll stay here. At first folks at least pretended that there was some like medical reason to do this shit. For example, a surgeon named Thomas Pettigrew uh, famously unwrapped a mummy in 1834 at the Royal College of Surgeons in London. So it was kind of like a a public surgery or autopsy, which was a common thing at the time. Yeah. Right. And Pettigrew became something of a mummy expert and did stuff like this a lot. In one of the articles that I read, I can't recall which one, there was some other rich guy who got into Egyptology himself and was like, Pettigrew, good man, when I die, mummify me. And Pettigrew was like, all right, sure. (laughs) He just (laughs) mummified him and put him like, and this guy's just being held in his mausoleum, just mummified in an approximation of the Egyptian style. Yesified, mummified. That's right. All right. Mother. So at first it was like, look, we're trying to do some like medical stuff or have some kind of educational value. But before long, it was about the fun of unwrapping a mummy. And of course, the clout. If you were rich enough to have a mummy as the entertainment at your dinner party, you oh, were yeah. going to be the talk of ye old Wisteria Lane or whatever. Is anybody concerned with the fact that these were human people? At this time, be- not really. Pesky emotions. This time, like, kind of no. Just me? Okay. Well, and this is as good a time as any to bring up the inherent racism and classism baked into corpse medicine. Uh, Many of the authors that I've read researching the story, including Noble and Sugg, hit on this issue. Noble wrote that uh, ancient Romans thought that hot blood drunk from the wounds of a gladiator could cure epilepsy. Most gladiators were enslaved people. Not only were they forced to fight to the death for the entertainment of the free citizens, but their very blood could be taken from them as they died to maybe sort of kind of provide health benefits for the haves of Roman society. Edie, you just don't know. They have the little blood donor on their slave ID cards. That's right. They they checked the box. Yeah. So they're they're donors. Organ donor. And in the mummy counterfeiting game, we've got grave robbers or resurrection men, future subjects of the pod, 
Yeah. Stealing the bodies of people the state executed who <laughs> were and remain disproportionately poor. Yes. I just and can't then, get over. I'm sorry. Our TTT of this. God damn it. I, told you, I know. I saw the crown, the crown and the coffin. I was like, oh my God, it's a fucking mummy. It's a mummy. I knew it was a mummy. Like we're gonna be talking. This is a this is our mummy episode, and not just any you, mummy, a forged mummy, a forged mummy. So we've got various mummy forgeries. I so love like it. for these these uh, resurrection men who would take the bodies of people the state executed, who were generally poor people and and remain poor people. That's a. a surefire way to get a body fast enough to do a fake mummification on then they do like they'd stuff them with salt and bake them in an oven to later pass them off as real mummies uh-huh. so just like just dehydrate them effectively desecrating poor corpses uh. so that you could sell them and pass them off as exotic because then yeah. we've, of course, got the racism and exoticism of mm, believing yeah. there's some kind of special ancient magic in Egyptian mummified corpses. And that's pretty right. glaring. Yeah. That and also the fact, yeah, that you're, yes, exactly. You steal it from them, even though, yeah. Yes. Yes. And Sugg also makes a great point. He wrote, and I'm just quoting here. I think this is from an article that he wrote in The Lancet, but it could also be from his book. Uh, For a long time, charges of cannibalism were used as an effective slur against tribal peoples in the Americas and Australasia. Mm -hmm, And he's mm -hmm. got a great point there. Because at the same time, for hundreds of years, Europeans happily ate human remains as medicine, especially the human remains of ancient brown people. So human remains for me, but not for thee. In fact, the sources for the story... If I had a nickel for every time people were racist about eating human remains, <laughs> you'd have actually quite a lot of nickels. I would have a number of nickels. A number? You could buy at, at least a Mountain Dew. If, Definitely if, a if, Mountain Dew. Yeah. Code Red even. In fact, as the sources for this story point out, European corpse medicine became popular at around the same time as reports of cannibalism in newly colonized Mm -hmm. areas came in. Hmm. So reducing these newly colonized people to mere cannibals was a really great way to make them seem less human because people often feel like bad about enslaving humans or eating humans. But But if they're they're just cannibals, if they're animals, it's they're easier to kill because they're just animals. And there's no need to inquire about whether there's any meaning or ritual ceremony involved with any of those practices. All we need to know is that when New World people eat people, it's gross. But when Europeans eat people, it's different. It's in a modern, medicinal, and Christian way. Of course, except for Catholics whose belief in transubstantiation made them disgusting cannibals no better than the brutes in the New World. I mean, they drink the blood every Sunday. Only Europeans could split hairs like this. <laughs> Never forget, Maryland Petty. was created as a haven for the Catholics. That's right. We got we got some munch on the body and the blood That's every all you week. That's all you wanted. As the 1900s started, mummy unwrapping parties started going out of style. As you guys were pointing out, this kind of gross, dark, human playing with human body stuff started yeah. to be seen as in bad taste. I can't imagine why. Pardon the pun. But then Howard Carter found King Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922. Mm-hmm. People lost their shit for mummies yet again. But that's another story for another time. For now, this has been a little bit about corpse medicine. Mm. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I yeah. just say, yum. Mm. And like, I didn't mention dicks and balls, but guaranteed. No, there is. There is. Guaranteed. There is. Yeah. Rocky Mountain oysters. Like, yes. Yes. Where we, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, just yeah. we started eating those because we couldn't eat human ones anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, man. People are fucking yeah. weird when it comes to dead bodies. Yeah. That is something yeah. we've yeah. learned. Over and over again on this pod. 
Yep, and Europeans yeah. will always make it racist and will always make it classist. Always. Oh. Always. Oh. Always, always, always. Same as it ever was. Yes. Same as it ever was. I can't believe we had such a strong no. TTT theme. It's like oh you planned it almost. I was so excited, mm. Kevin, Listeners, when I got your I hand. S- I was like, every I time swear. this happens, I swear to you, like you we do it. not plan this. We don't plan it. We don't plan it. This is just, uh, we're just, this is just the power good. of friendship and the power of podcasting. I love it. Thank you, Edie, for that uh, uh, amazingly gross story. I need to go it's brush disgusting. my teeth now. I told you I it was going to be old and gross. Ugh. And I delivered you on that promise. Right. You sure you did. Were correct. And then that, that is creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about spoopy. That's spoopy as fuck. It's exactly. eating human remains. Gross and shit. rubbing human Jeez. remains all over your body. I'd rather do that than eat it. You would rather rub human fat onto your body, like slather yourself in it and just like sit in it like that? Than drink blood? I'd rather do that because then once it's inside, I don't have to think about it. If it's slathered oh, it's on my body, oh, I would, it's all, like, that's all I'm thinking uh, about if I drank it. That's all I'm thinking about. I can't drink it. No. And then, uh, once it's in there, it's it's, it's done. It's done. Yeah. Nah, you got to keep it down, though. Ooh, yeah, that's the thing. That's, oh, puking up human blood? Yeah. God, no. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Miss, if people want to tell us how to spit up human blood themselves, <laughs> where could they Please find don't. us and tell us that? They could find us at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com or on Instagram at creepyinquiriespod. If you are interested in our sources, you could find them at creepyinquiriespod.com. Also, if you've got a minute, you could give us a cute little rate on rate and review wherever you are listening to us now. If you do so, we really appreciate it and it helps us out a lot. Five stars or... I will grind up your grandpa's dick and balls and <laughs> snort the powder for virility. And that's gender affirming care. Yes, it is. Who are you, Keith Richards? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listener, thank you so much for joining us on episode 106, the Desi Arnaz aged episode. Lucy, you got some splaining to do. And until next time. Okay.